All right. We'll be looking at the laws for fulfilling your ministry. Laws for fulfilling your ministry. You will notice that everything God made, there are laws that govern it. There are laws that govern it. If we observe the laws, we will see results. Amen. And I want us to turn our Bibles to Colossians chapter 4 and the verse number 17. Colossians 4, 17. Colossians 4, 17. It says, and say to Archippus. Archippus was one of the members of the church in Colossae. And Paul the apostle was writing to the church in Colossae. So those who come from Colossae are called Colossians. Okay, just like if you come from Nigeria, you are called a Nigerian. Cameroonian. Now it says, and say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord so that you may fulfill it. Amen. Take heed. That means pay attention to the ministry you have received from the Lord. It is of the Lord that we receive our ministries. And it says, when you receive a ministry from the Lord, see to it that you fulfill it. That means you accomplish it. So it's one thing to receive a ministry from the Lord. It's another thing to fulfill it. There were two things there. He said, say to Archippus. That means this guy is so important that even though Paul was not physically present, he wrote the letter there to the church and said, and say to Archippus that he should pay attention to the ministry that he has received from the Lord. And I want us all of us to understand that all of us have got a general ministry from the Lord. And that is to do the master's will. Preach to somebody to be saved. We must continuously come to the place where we are skillful at doing it. Anytime, any hour, any day, any minute. Everywhere we find ourselves, we must do it. Because you see, death is so inevitable. And it's unpredictable. Young people are dying. Old people will also be dying. And as I said to you, in the beginning of the year, I mentioned it in somewhere in the prophecy, that young people will die around the world, especially in the UK. And we've seen it happening. So we must get them saved, because some of them, Satan is killing them. Satan has been to heaven before. And he knows that when you die, you are not coming back again. And he knows that the word of God is so clear in Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 that it is appointed unto humans to die once. This is the word of God. There's no reincarnation. Reincarnation is a demonic doctrine to make people relax and think that they can have another life. This is not cartoon world where you have got 10 lives. Game, gaming world where you have got, I've got 10 more lives, so I, daddy, don't worry if I die here. I'll, this one, in real life, when you die, that's it. Agbena is finished. That's the way we say it in Ghana. Agbena. Can somebody say Agbena? I know you say Abena, but say Agbena. Agbena is finished. It is finished. It's finished. Now, when we die, there's only one of two destinations. It's either eternity hell or lake of fire or eternity heaven with the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And so every one of us have a major general assignment of witnessing to people to be saved. And don't be ashamed of it. Listen, the work of the ministry, which is the work that pleases the Father, it comes with inconvenience. And sometimes it comes with embarrassment. I want you to understand that we have been called to do an embarrassing work. <laughs> and a ridiculous message to the minds of those who are not saved. It is a very ridiculous message to tell people that a virgin became pregnant. To tell intellectuals that a virgin became pregnant and had a son is an intellectual foolishness to somebody's mind. But that is the message we have been called to preach. To preach to tell people in the world that somebody dying on a cross, being tortured by Roman soldiers 2,022 years ago has any connection to the person's salvation. Sounds ridiculous, but that is the way that we will only be saved. It is the truth and that is the message we have been called to preach. So the higher you go intellectually, the chances of being very much ashamed to preach this gospel is very high. It's very high. But Paul was also a very, very astute scholar. A very great lawyer who can defend the faith and he understands that there's no other way to be saved except through Jesus Christ. Amen. So, anywhere we find ourselves, we must unashamedly preach the gospel. Tell somebody they need to be born again. Have conversations around that. Tell people that. Tell people to preach to people to be born again. Talk to people like that. Become consistent with that. Amen. So, I was telling you earlier in the first session that there are certain anointings of my life. I don't know where they came from. I believe they came from certain sacrifices and mindsets. When I was in sixth form at university, I go to funerals that have no connection with me. I only go there so that I can preach. I have tracks in my pocket. I go to funerals so I can preach to people. Yeah, I start conversation with people. Have you seen that person is dead? He just went to see the body. He's not coming again. Very soon you may also be like that. But you must be born again. There's a famous cemetery in Ghana. When you are entering it, it says, we were once like you. It's a very bold writing. As you are about to enter the main gates of the cemetery, it says, we were once like you. And when you are going out, there's another inscription. It says, you will come back very soon. You will come and join us very soon. It's a stark reality in life, isn't it? Yes. And if we truly love people, and we call them our friends. We must preach to them. I love one member of our church. The mother of that member of our church. One day when she was, she was pregnant. She was about to give birth. And the mother. The mother came from. No the mother-in-law came from Ghana to come and visit. And so to be with her. And so when we had to take her to the hospital. For her to have the baby. Um, I was with them that night the labor ward and she was really in pain and moving in the corridor and making some friends you see still the, the other ladies too who are also in pain waiting for the attend to be giving delivery suites so that they can enter and whilst this was going on this member's mother-in-law she's a very solid christian 
As the ladies were there and they are in pain and all of that, she just engaged him. Are you born again? <laughs> you think, oh, let me be careful. Somebody's in pain. No, she just, and she said, Papa was awful. You know, in, in, in Ghana language, I mean, both down or tree, pastor is called Osofo. Okay, so when you say Papa Osofo, that means Papa Pastor. Okay, now, so she says that to me and says, you know, it's important that I preach to them because, you know, I'm a woman. When you are going to give birth, it's you are between life and death. It's either she go and give birth and she will not be around. It may, she, she can lose the baby or she herself can die and the baby can leave. Anything, I want to make sure that they are saved. And when she finished with the women, she turned to the men who have also come. Some husbands managed to come. Some husbands are cowards. They stay away. They can't watch their wives go through those things. But when I'm there, I make sure that every male in the church whose wife is in this situation, I bring you along. So, Pastor, me, I want to stay in the corridor. You are staying in what corridor? You are responsible. Go inside. Go and say the pain she is going through so that when she comes back home, you will not mishandle her. You didn't see how the baby came, so you think it's very easy. When you see her in that situation, you see that she, she, she has paid a heavy price. So I also make sure that they, they give them some special money. Yeah, I move the man in Chelsea. Your wife has finished delivery, yes. Yeah, everything is there. But you are going to give her a special money. Yeah. And sometimes I say, look, give her this amount of money. Yeah, as a blessing. To pacify her soul. You saw what she went through. She was between life and death. And you are just happy to grab the baby. <laughs> but she preached to everybody. She, she was, you know, if you are not spiritual or you are very careful, you think she's embarrassing herself here. But she, she felt if she finds any group of human beings, she will preach Christ to them. May we have that mindset. May we come with only one set of mind. If I come among you, you either run away or I get you saved. Full stop. That's the, that's the mindset. You are running away from me or I'll get you saved. That should be your mindset. I'm going to get you saved or you are going to run away. So when people see you, they start running away. You know you have fulfilled your ministry. <laughs> it's a very serious work. And because that is the ministry. Many times when we talk about ministry, we are talking about our specialized ministry. When am I, am I a pastor or I'm a musician or I'm a, I'm a prophet or that? Look, don't think about that first. Think about the main thing first. Everyone who ever became a prophet or an apostle or pastor or teacher or evangelist, they first started off being Christians. Christians who are doing the work of the ministry. And whilst you are doing the work of the ministry, the Lord finds you faithful and puts a pastoral anointing on you to pastor people. That's how it starts. Amen. That's how it works. That's how every gift of the Spirit also begins to operate. The Bible says, This sign shall follow them that believe. It must follow you. You can't be standing here and say, Something is following me. No, you must be moving that the thing follows. These signs shall follow those who believe. In my name, they cast out demons. You can't stay in your room and expect to be casting demons. Go out and start preaching to people. You'll see manifestations. And then when you say in the name of Jesus, come out, you suddenly find somebody's falling down. Say, hey, is that, hey, people can fall down like that. I didn't know. Yeah, you won't know until you have done the work. Amen. Until you are doing the work. Until you are doing the work, you won't see the manifestation of word of knowledge. Or If you're still in your room and you are not you know, ministering to anybody, why would the Holy Ghost show you things about people? 
Are we safe? So it says, say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord and see to it that you fulfill it. Amen. So we've got two levels of ministry. One, the general one, we are supposed to win souls, make disciples, teach them to know Jesus Christ, bring them to church, move them to church. Trouble them because they will trouble you to take you to the world, isn't it? Yeah, we'll be saying we need to meet up here. We need to meet up here. You two, we are meeting in church. So you need to always be like that. And then, when we begin to do this work faithfully, and God begins to put ministry gift anointings on us, that is either a pastor, apostle, prophet, teacher, evangelist, or specialized ministry giftings like, you know, certain gifts. There are certain gifts within the body of Christ. Certain gifts, administrative gifts. There are certain people, they are gifted in such a way that they can be very good working with the senior pastor. Anything you share with them, they are able to appraise it, put it together, and get the administration running. It's a gift. The Bible mentions that in 1 Corinthians 12. Administrations. There are people who are gifted to sing as anointed psalmists. That's why I use that word to describe our choir. All the names in the, I, I name them. Anointed psalmists. They sing the minister and demons will be cast out of people. They don't need to say come out. As they begin to minister, the anointing hits the place. Sometimes they carry special graces. When they minister, the senior pastor is released in his prophetic ministry and his starts ministry. The atmosphere is released. These are levels of anointings. The reason why we let the choir minister before the pastor comes is not because we, we want to while away the time. No, they are supposed to perform a prophetic function. So when they miss it, the pastor has to come and raise songs again until the atmosphere is shifted. But when they have done it, when pastor comes, it starts flowing. Sometimes you go to certain places when you are preaching. As soon as they invite you to the pulpit, you see that the place is hard. So you see everybody begin to pray again. We pray for about 10 minutes. And then I lift songs again. Because the atmosphere is not released. So sometimes you come with your own atmosphere. Because the place is dead. They have not been praying in that church. The pulpit is dry. The altar is dry. That's why you have to be praying from where you were. So when you come, you come with the presence of God into the place and shift the atmosphere. Because if you haven't gone to that depth, we can sing our atmosphere shift and nothing shifts. Atmosphere will sing back. I refuse to shift. Chains be broken. Chains will sing back. We refuse to be broken. Say to Archippus, if you are sitting by someone you know the person's name, say to them, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord. And see to it that you fulfill it. Amen. And when we talk about fulfilling our ministry, it means that we are getting results that meet the expectation of the one who called you. Are you here? We are getting results that meet the expectation of the caller, of the one who called you. The caller is the blesser. Amen. To fulfill your ministry is to aim to get results that meets the expectation of the one who called you. 
May we meet the expectation of the one who called us. In the name of Jesus. So taking heed means striving lawfully and being diligent. It is not a calling to laziness. It is a call to labor and to work hard. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 3 to 5. And then I will download some 10 laws for you and then we will be out of this session. Let me even see. Um, 21 laws, but I'll give you 10. Because of austerity measures, we are keeping the economy. So, if I give you 20, it's too much. Let me. It is everybody have to tighten their belt a little bit. So, you get 10. 10 is good for you. Another time, we'll give you another 10. Then, at another occasion, I'll give you the one. Because one of them, it can take me three hours to talk about that one. Are we in Second Timothy? Chapter 2. Verse 3 to 5. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life so that he may please him who has enlisted him to be a soldier. No one that is engaged in warfare is engaged in affairs of this life. So as to please the one who called you to be a soldier. If you are called to be a soldier, you can't be mixing with civilians. You are a soldier of Christ. You don't do what ordinary civilians do. Because if you lose focus, a sniper will kill you. It says, and the purpose is so that you may please the one who enlisted you to be a soldier. Our focus will be to please the Lord as we fulfill our ministry. So what did the Lord say we should do? We, want, we must aim to please the Lord and achieve the target the master has set for us. Win souls. Preach to someone. Preach to your friends. There are thousands of students on campus. Satan is having them for lunch. And we watch them. We have not been called to speak against them. We have been called to speak to them and get them saved. And sometimes when you try to realize that they have been waiting all along, it's because you have been making the assumption they won't listen to you. You are making the assumption. But for all you know, they have been waiting for someone to speak to them like the way you are speaking to them. No one engaged in warfare entangles themselves. If you want to fulfill your ministry, you don't entangle yourself with civilian activities. You get yourself immersed in your assignment as a military person in the Lord. Amen. So there are rules of engagement. You labor hard. It is hard work. The work of the ministry is hard work. It's not for lazy people. The anointing is not for lazy people. God doesn't use lazy people. God doesn't use lazy people. The work of God is a very tough one. And it comes with a lot of responsibilities. And we can't see the anointing unless we have labored. Jesus labored on the cross. He labored. He carried his cross. The cross was heavy. He carried it painfully. He was being whipped. But he must be lifted up like I preached yesterday. He needs to be lifted up. He could have died at the whipping post. 
Because the whipping post, they put you down there and they make you kneel against it and they whip your back. So he could have died there. But when he dies there, he has not been lifted. The Bible says, unless he's lifted up, then we can be saved. So he, he actually fought of death and carried it until he was lifted and hung there. And he was enduring this from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. Six hours of brutal suffering. Fulfilling his ministry. So today when he has a name that is above every name. You too, you want to have a name that is above every name. It doesn't come cheap. So I want to carry Moses' anointing. Read the scriptures in Hebrews 11. The Bible says that he decided to forsake Egypt. He decided to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Sometimes the reason why we don't go all out for the Lord is because we want to enjoy some pleasures of sin. But pleasures of sin, they are for a season. All this I want to have says, I want to have says, five minutes, you are finished. Pleasures of, and then you have sinned too. Now you have sinned. And your conscience begins to condemn you. And Satan begins to say, I told you, look at you, hypocrite. Don't, keep quiet over there. You are, you, are, you are trying to pray. Keep quiet over there. So you close your father in the name of Jesus. Then your voice disappears. Because the voice of guilt comes in. And Satan is now having you and just troubling you. All these pleasures of sin for a moment. You are burning with passion. But then just for a moment. He chose, it's a choice. He chose to suffer affliction with the people of God. The calling of God is an affliction calling. It's a suffering calling. See, yesterday, the founder of Lighthouse Chapel International, his firstborn son died suddenly. He's a medical doctor. He died suddenly in the United States at the age of 31. The man was preaching yesterday at their crusade. The father was preaching. He has heard the news before he got to the stage. You have to make that difficult choice of preaching. Because you can't stay out. You will demoralize the whole congregation. It's like 11 years ago, Reverend Istudanaba lost his two daughters. On the same day they are having convention on Easter Friday. As the children were being ferried to being driven to the to come home from uni. They had a ghastly accident and they died. And I remember that night he still went on the pulpit and preached. You have to make the difficult choice of preaching. That's leadership. It's hard. This work we have been called to do is hard. Most people were being blessed yesterday as he was preaching. He was laying hands, praying for the sick. Only he alone knows what news he has heard. Standing and preaching. Everybody saying, Amen. The power of God moved. How would you do that? The day after I lost my mother, I came to Kent. I preached heaven on earth. Power of God moved. It was after, before I told you I've lost my mother, isn't it? He didn't know. You have to make the difficult choice. It's an assignment. You are on it. You have to carry it through. 
see to it that you fulfill your ministry. It comes with the territory. It comes with the calling. It comes with the work. May we be prepared because to save a human soul is a whole life thing. It's a whole work. It's a whole labor. But if we want to see results, we must be ready to go through any form of inconvenience for the sake of the kingdom because Jesus went through that for us. Amen. Hallelujah. So we make sure that we strive lawfully. We labor and follow the rules of engagement. So there are laws that we need to follow to fulfill the ministry. Let's finish the Timothy thing. Let's finish Timothy. That he may please him who called him to be a soldier. Verse 5. And also if anyone competes in athletics, he or she is not crowned unless you compete lawfully. Isn't it? Or you compete according to the rules. Sometimes in athletics, some people are banned because they were not competing according to the rules. And that's why I'm going to give you these laws that govern how to fulfill ministry. Because now we want to love the Lord. We know that we have a ministry to fulfill. But then how do we fulfill it? What are the laws that I need to observe? He says, no one is crowned. No one becomes successful unless he competes according to the rules. In boxing, when you able to land a jab in somebody's face, you get a point. You're able to hit the head, you get a point. But you can't hit below the belt. You, are, you rather lose points when you do so. That's why you have gone below the belt. And sometimes in, when you're doing marriage counseling, you, tell me, you may have disagreements, arguments, etc. But if you have to say something against the other person, or you are angry, you say it, make sure you don't go below the belt. You don't hit below the belt. You don't say something that is derogatory to his mother or her mother. That is below the belt. You are dealing with her. Talk to her alone. Don't include the rest of the family of any information you got to know as a result of the relationship. When you start going there, you are hitting below the belt. You are not scoring correctly. You are not actually arguing properly. You are, you are attacking a personality now rather than arguing over the issues. So there are rules that we need to follow. Number one, if we have to fulfill ministry, we must understand and observe the law of total abandonment. Total abandonment. What do I mean by that? You see, you, you can't have something until you leave something. So far from this morning to this very point, how many of you have been blessed by the service? Now you see, you wouldn't have been blessed if you didn't leave your house to come here. You have to leave your bed to come here. Some of you, you are married to your bed. Some of you, strangely, you hear the words of your bed than even the word of God. When you are leaving the room, you hear the bed say, Hey, are you going? Going to come and lie down a little bit. And just look at me, pillow. And the pillow starts actually flexing. <laughs> you alone understand pillow, but you never hear the Holy Spirit. You hear the voice of your bed more than the voice of the Holy Spirit. When it is 5 a.m. to pray, your bed speaks to you and says, keep lying down. Lie down a little bit more. Lie down. And the prayer is going on. The bed is talking to you. You, bed, talks to you. May the Lord deliver us from bed spirit and bed ministry to a Holy Ghost ministry. you from this afternoon I command the voice of your bed not to be heard anymore by you when 
I look at Teju, she looks like someone who, who loves her bed. See if the Lord is saying something to me. In the name of Jesus, for you to fulfill your ministry, you have to get out of that bed. And to fulfill academic excellence, I command the voice of the bed from talking to you. May you rebel against your bed in the name of Jesus. That you only observe when you decide when you went to sleep. But not that the bed is commanding. Prayer time, Finam, she has slept Finam. Then she rose on one side. And rose and pulled all oh, and just hide the knife. <laughs> all the husbands have to call her. And she's still sleeping. The Lord has taken me to their flat. And the world is hearing this one. Oh, okay. The Holy Ghost is very interesting. Law of total abandonment. Luke 18, 28 to 30. Rebel against the bed. When you go home, talk to the bed. Say, bed, today I am talking to you. You can't control my life anymore. I bought you and you can't control me. I refuse to lie on you. Let me, I choose when I will lie on you and I will wake up when I want to wake up to fulfill my ministry in my side. Then Peter said, see, we have left all and followed you. And he said to them, I say to you, there's no one who has left houses or parents or brethren or sisters or wife or children for the kingdom of God's sake. See, somebody have to lift something. Somebody have to leave something to get something. The law of total abandonment. We have to abandon something to get into what God is calling us to do. I have to abandon something to be able to do what God has called me to do. I have to abandon something. It says anyone who has left houses or anything for the sake of the kingdom, they will also receive, 2030, who shall not receive many times more in this present time and in the age to come eternal life. If we have to, you see, Jesus had to leave heaven. He had to leave something. If you have to fulfill your ministry, observe this first law, the first law, the law of total abandonment. You can't carry anointing. You can't do God's work effectively if you are not prepared to leave something. For us to be used by God, we have to leave a certain lifestyle behind us. We have to, sometimes we have to leave a certain group of friends. We have to leave a certain circle of friends. We have to leave something to attain something. To lay hold on eternal life, you must drop some things. And we must be ready to sacrifice for the kingdom. To sacrifice for the kingdom. It requires everything you are and everything you have to put on the altar of sacrifice. You have to abandon some things to attain things in God. If we have to win souls, we must drop some things. Sometimes we, some of us, we have been called by God, we've given up our professions to do the work of the ministry. So that souls like you can be saved. Otherwise, there was no way we would have met. 
The only time you meet me is if you are dying. That's when you will meet me in the hospital corridor or in the hospital consulting room. But God calls all of us differently. So somebody has to give up something to get something. Jesus gave up his status so that he can come down and save us. And the question today is what have you given up for the sake of the gospel? What have you given up? Listen, the work of the ministry does not take all your academic time. It's the devil who tells you that. We don't have church service every day. You've got seven days in a week. Multiply that in hours. What do we have? 168 hours. 24 hours times seven. We don't do church 24 hours every day, do we? Every day we do church in Christ church. Every day. So you don't go to lectures. From morning to evening, we have got morning service, afternoon service, evening service. And throughout? No. You have 24 hours in a day. Even if you tithe the 24 hours in a day, that leaves you 2 hours, 40 minutes every day to dedicate to God. So you've got extra hours, over 21 hours for you. Even if it's every day. That's why we, we, in our church, we program our services. Unless we are doing like camp meeting, retreats, etc. You see, our services are always two and a half hours. It's intentional. It's a tithe. Whatever God blesses you with, you tithe it, isn't it? And so 10% of 24 hours is 2.4 hours. Two hours, 40 minutes, our service to God. But even that is weekends and some days of the week. That's it. But just calculate that even if you look at the whole week of 168 hours that you have, do you really devote 16.8 hours to the Lord? Because that's your tithe. 10% of 168 is 16.8. Are you giving 16.8? That's what you are supposed to give to the Lord. 16.8 hours for the work of the Lord. A week. May we wake up. And serve the Lord. And say, let's fast. Uh, witches are fasting. Yeah. When we were traveling, and this man sitting down there, and he's just uttering certain things. He's looking at this man, he's saying, look at him. So we engage him in conversation. And he said, oh, as for him, when he's traveling. See, I do the same thing, but I didn't know that an occultist is also doing the same thing. See, when you are, go on a flight, you can watch movies, or you can choose to do a spiritual assignment. So when I look on his screen, he's not watching movie. His screen looks like my screen. Journey, the journey. So when we, because when we get to various nations, I pray over the nations for salvation. Not knowing he's also invoking things against nations. He's projecting occultic worship. We all get on the flight. And we are happy. Some of you get on the flight and you sleep. 
just finish eating, watch movie, watch movie, watch movie until you sleep and now the screen is watching you. Whereas someone is sitting on the same flight with you and is actually speaking over nations. He's speaking people to die, people not to know the Lord Jesus Christ, resisting Christianity, resisting salvation, promoting his faith. May we wake up. The law of abandonment. What have you given up? Until your life becomes a seed, fulfillment of your ministry is not in view. Until your life becomes like a seed, Jesus said, except a corn or a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains the same. Your life must become like a seed that is planted. Amen. Sacrifice, abandon something. I pray that you understand this bit in Jesus' name. Right. Number two. The law of absolute dependency on God. The law of absolute dependency on God. If you want to fulfill your ministry, you must have an absolute dependence on God. And if you depend on God absolutely, you can't afford to have a prayerless life. A prayerless Christian is the workshop of the devil. A prayerless Christian is the workshop of the devil. The devil will work freely inside you when you don't pray. If you depend on someone, you constantly engage the person. You are in tune with the person, in conversation with the person, in association with the person. If you want to fulfill ministry, listen, ministry comes from the Lord. The power to do the work of ministry, the anointing to do the work of the ministry, the revelation, the understanding, everything you need comes from the Lord. Daily, you must depend on the Lord for strength, for power, for revelation, for insight, for direction. Because yesterday's method may not work today. So the Lord will have to direct you. That's why you must depend on the Lord every day. Jesus prayed every time. When you do service and the power of God moves, don't be so excited that you are coming tomorrow and you haven't prayed. The devil can ambush you. Anytime you finish one service, go and pray and come and continue the second service. Seek the strength of God and ask God, Father, how do I do this one? Don't just form an assumption that, oh, I think it was powerful in the morning. I'm going the same way. The strategy may change by the Lord. If you follow the Lord and you depend on him, you realize that his methods are different. Time will fail me, but if we go back to the book of Samuel, you will see that in, we all know the story about David and how he defeated Goliath, isn't it? And that Goliath was a Philistine. And the Bible says that David used a stone to deal with the Philistine giant. Now, one will make the assumption that anytime I face a Philistine, I just have to get a stone. That's assumption, isn't it? If the Lord used me with a stone to kill the giant of the Philistine, that means any Philistine will fall under a stone. That will be your battle strategy. But after David killed Goliath and he used a stone, the Bible tells us that later on when David became king in 2 Samuel from chapter 2, chapter 3, all the way to 4, I think so. The Bible says that when David became king, the Philistines, when they heard David had now become king, they gathered themselves to come and fight David. All of them came together to fight David. 
And David checked with God and asked the Lord, what should I do? Should I go after them? What should I do? And the Lord told him to go ahead and fight them. And he didn't use a stone. The battle strategy changed. They are the same Philistines. So don't say, oh, it's the same group of people. I'm going to use the same method. Go to God. Seek God in prayer. Prepare in prayer. The Holy Ghost will direct. And you'll see that you see different levels of your ministry and different results. And when David defeated these people in 2 Kings, sorry, 2 Samuel, the Bible tells us that after some time, the Philistines gathered again and they came to fight him. And would have made the same assumption that, oh, come on, these guys, it's either a stone or the strategy the Lord told me the last time. David again sought the Lord. Mona Lisa, let's go there so at least I can teach this lesson very clearly. Even if I don't do all the 10, at least it's important that they get this one. Absolute dependency on God. Absolute. Please don't forget this. Absolute dependency. If we go to evangelism this afternoon and you win souls and you preach to them, tomorrow when you have to go to evangelism again, pray and ask God, Father, how should I approach this one? Even if, even if you spoke to one person and you preach to the person and you use Matthew chapter 6 or something to preach to that person, when you miss the next person, five minutes later, you don't need to use Matthew chapter 6. Still ask the Lord, Father, which one do I use for this? He will tell you another one. He will use a different approach. Absolute dependency on God. So David inquired of the Lord. Have you seen it there? This is a man, he's facing the same Philistines. After all, let's gather stones and go and face them. No, it will work. Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you deliver them to my hand? And the Lord said to him, come, come with me 20. Go up for I would doubtless deliver the Philistines to you. Have you seen it there? And so David went up and fought the Philistines. Please take me further down. So David went to Barperazim, he defeated them there, and he said, the Lord has broken through my enemies before him. So God, told, he didn't use a stone this time. They fought with weapons, and they won. But look at these same Philistines coming again. Please take me down to, I think, 21, 22. Then the Philistines were at war again with Israel. They came again. And David and his servants with him went down and fought against the Philistines, and David became very weary. And the Philistines almost nearly killed him. No, not 21. I'm talking about verse. Where we were before. Because we are now. And they left their images, the David and men carried on. 20, verse 22. Then the Philistines came up once again. And deployed themselves in the valley of Rephaim. <laughs> Therefore, David inquired of the Lord again. <laughs> have defeated them two months ago. They have come. It's the same people. Let me use the same strategy. Either stones or barperazim. But look at it. David inquired of the Lord and the Lord said, you shall not go. Huh. It's the same Philistines. I would have gone. He would have lost. Some of you have lost battles which God has not asked you to fight. It's not yet time. But we have made assumptions. If you want to be successful in ministry, learn to have an absolute dependency on God every day. He went to the Lord again. He said, it's the same Philistines. Should I use catapult, stones? Or just three months ago, let's make the same assumption. No. The Lord said, you shall not go up. Don't go. But circle around behind them. Don't fire any shot. And come up in front of them by the mulberry trees. Have you seen divine direction happening here? It's the same group of people, but this time the strategy is different. And then he says, verse 24. And it shall be 
when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the mulberry trees, God says, David, go behind them and stand there and watch something. And keep watching on top of the trees. I will ascend, I will descend from heaven and start walking on top of the trees. When you see a movement, it means Jehovah has gone ahead of you. Then you start moving. Then you shall advance quickly, for then the Lord will go out before you to strike the camp of the Philistines. No assumptions. Check with the Lord every day. Sometimes I may come into a service and lay hands. There are times I will come and say, don't lay hands. Just stand by the pulpit and speak these words and I will move. If you want to fulfill your ministry, learn to develop an absolute dependency on God every day. Read your Bible every day and ask God questions in prayer. There are types of prayers when you want to have an absolute dependency on God. You pray inquiring prayers like David prayed. David's prayers are all inquiring prayers. Father, shall I go? Should I take this? All my friends are taking this course. Should I do it? The Lord will tell you, I created you differently. You came to this world at a particular time. And I've got a different assignment for you. You are not doing this because you are doing this one. Absolute. Depend on God. Trust him for your finances. Trust him for the money. Trust him for the people. Pray to God to bring in the souls into the ministry. Pray to God to anoint you, to empower you to do the work of the ministry. Pray that it is God who brings the increase. It's not by might nor by power. It's by my spirit. There is nothing God cannot do. But we need to depend on him every day. Hallelujah. Sometimes I pray, Lord, where you cannot take me to, don't let me get there. Because if you are not taking me there and I get there by myself, I will be left alone. You are not with me. I need God's presence than any other thing. Hallelujah. Make God the only source for accomplishing your mandate. Make God the only source for accomplishing your mandate and your ministry. Make him the only source. He's able to do anything with you. So when we have to win souls, ask God, Lord, how do I even communicate with this person? God knows what to say to you. Sometimes you don't hear him speaking, but when you start talking, he will take over. And you wonder, I don't even know where the words came from. In fact, I don't even know where the scriptures came from. And you find out that is happening. Amen. You need faith because faith is a universal currency. It holds the same value in every continent. Faith is a universal currency. It holds the same value in every continent. Faith. If you are sent to Afghanistan to start church and you have faith in God and depend on God, church will start. Chikwadu, are you ready for Afghanistan? Yes. I pray for you that God gives you a Taliban ministry. That you will minister to Talibans to be saved. of you want to be called by God, you only want to sit in London. You don't even want to go to Mauritania. When they told a preacher in Africa, he said he's praying that God will open a door for his ministry in Europe. I said, there is Berlin. There is Mauritania. There is Papua New Guinea. All these things are in Africa. You, you want international ministry, but only Europe. May we be ready for the Lord Jesus. So that people who don't know the Lord will get to know the Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Absolute dependency on God. Number three. The law of divine commandment. 
observe the law of divine commandment. When we are truly called by God, we'll have an instruction that came from God. See, if you want to do well in a particular ministry, you need to understand the mandate God gave to the ministry. If we don't observe the divine commandment that has been given to that ministry or even to you in the ministry, you are going to fail. You need to learn to obey the commandment of the Lord concerning the ministry. When God called me, there are very clear instructions he gave me for the ministry. He explained to me the kind of anointing that I'm carrying. And how anyone that wants to walk within that anointing within the church has to learn to observe. So I can't commit sexual sins. It's not possible. I can't do those things. It will destroy the anointing of my life. That's the covenant of the calling. So if you want to do well under the ministry, you can't be playing with those things in the church. You will fail. You be a leader, you rise and then you fall. The anointing on this house is maintained by higher levels of holiness and sanctification. That's the covenant of the calling of the ministry. Fleshly desires destroy the anointing. It fights it. So you have to learn to observe and exactly what God has called us to do. That's why I preach in a particular way all the time. We can't copy what all others are doing. We have not been given that mandate. We stick to what we have been called to do. It's not a popularity contest. It's to stick to what God has called us to do. So, all this, they are doing this and they are doing that. Have you been called to do that one too? Stick to yours. When we follow it, you'll see results. If it is not commanded by the Lord, don't do it. Jesus said, I do nothing except that which my father has asked me to do. Amen. In Ezekiel 37, you'll notice that Ezekiel kept using a particular phrase. He said, and as I prophesied, as I was commanded, there was a noise. If I do it the way I was commanded, we will see results. So I said, this is how we plant our church. This is how we do our things. Ah, this man is too controlling. No, were you there when God called me? <laughs> you see, a lot of people in church, they are like Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration. They went for prayer meeting with Jesus and they slept. And Jesus was the one who did the prayer until the glory appeared. The Bible says in Luke chapter 9 and Mark chapter and as he prayed, his countenance changed. The clothing he was wearing changed. The atmosphere changed. As he prayed, something happened. The glory of the Lord filled him. And the Bible says the dress he was wearing, the clothes changed. They became pure like, like snow, white as snow. And then there was the manifestation of Moses and Elijah, the man's prayer. And all this one, Peter, James, and John, they are snoring. And as soon as Moses and Elijah appeared and physically stood there with Jesus, which is a mystery, these guys have died thousand years of years earlier. Jesus' prayer has brought these guys from eternity to town. And Peter, James, and John woke up from their slumber. 
They said, ah, Jesus, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tabernacles. One for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for you. That we will dwell here forever. And the Bible says, not knowing what he said. See, he opened his mouth and said something. He doesn't even know what he's saying. You see, prayerless disciples are trying to tell prayerful masters what to do. You didn't bring down the anointing. When the anointing came, you want to control the anointing. Sometimes this is what happens in many churches. You haven't moved to the level the senior pastor went to. And he's come and say, we are doing this and that. He ah, what is all this? Were you there? At the burning bush, when God was talking to Moses, he will always meet only one person at the burning bush. Amen. And if we follow the instructions, we will see divine results. If we obey divine commandments, we will see divine results in our ministries. Amen. So let's follow the ministry strategy that God has given to us as protons. Let's follow it. The law of divine commandments. Ezekiel many times used the word, and as I prophesied, as I was commanded, there was a noise and there was a shaking. And all these dry bones, flesh came on them. And then the Lord said to him again, now prophesy to these bodies that the wind will come to them. And he says, and I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied as I was commanded, there was breath. I prophesied as I commanded. And breath came into them. And they lived and they stood up. The only results that came was because he prophesied as he was commanded. The law of divine commandment. Amen. Hallelujah. Number four, the law of focus. The law of focus. You cannot fulfill your ministry without a focused mindset. Let's focus on what we are doing. We are winning souls. We are discipling them. We are having house fellowships. We are meeting on this day. We are doing this. It's working. Let's stick to it. Let's focus on what God called us to do. If it's not yet time for us to organize some activity, let's stick to what he told us until further notice. You see, obedience is to comply and do what you were last commanded to do until you receive further instructions. That is obedience. To do what you were last asked to do until you receive further instructions. That is obedience. So, the law of focus is very, very important. Don't do things here and there. Those who try to do 16 things at the same time achieve nothing in the end. Jack of all trades, master of none. Matthew 6, 22. In the name of Jesus, Holy Spirit, fill this house. Let the people of God be blessed. Let them wake up. Let them see the need for ministry. Let them rise up to do ministry as they are empowered. He says, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. The lamp of the body is the eye. If your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. The lamp of the body is the eye. If your eye loses focus, You'll be in darkness completely. You'll not be able to get to your destination if you are, you are looking at different places as you go. You hit a wall. Stay focused. 
It's true, your eyes have been given to you to like to look at things and admire things. But when you are going somewhere, you must look for the direction for where you are going. Otherwise, you'll be lost. And when you are not focused and you are sitting on a bus, when you see others getting off the bus, you get off at a station and a stop that is not supposed to be where you must get off. You get off at a destination and think you have arrived, but you haven't arrived because you are not focused. Because you saw some people get off. The fact that some people are getting off, it's, that doesn't mean that is your destination. The law of focus. The more focused you are, the more fruitful your ministry will be. The more focused you are, the more fruitful your ministry will be. If we have been called to make disciples, let's stick to making disciples. If we keep on doing it, you see God will bring fruitfulness into the ministry. We have been called to plant. Listen, I see a lot of churches wanting to plant campus churches. It's that mandate has not been given to everybody. That's why some people try it and it doesn't work. It's an anointing. Amen. We, we have that anointing from God. We have that mandate from God. When we start it, it will work. Amen. Yeah, it will work. At least we can see that it's working, isn't it? Is it not working? But if we have to copy what everybody else is doing, it is possible that we may not have the mandate for those things. But let's stay for when you are faithful in one thing and it becomes fruitful, the Lord will move you to the next level. Amen. Stay focused and develop the choir by the instructions you have been given. Just follow it and build the choir that way. Build the protocol ministry that way. Build the prayer ministry that way. Yeah. Madeline. You have to build a prayer ministry. I want you to have 50 people in the prayer ministry by the end of this year. Hey, where am I going to get all the people? We will get all the people. In Jesus' name. Build a ministry. Build a ministry. Build a powerful media ministry. Build it. Because there's so much out there that Satan is pushing out through the media. A lot of you got to know certain satanic songs by the media, isn't it? Yeah. You used to enjoy them until salvation came. All the wicked things we learn to do is through the media. So why don't we take over in the name of Jesus? By developing effective ministries. So stay focused on that one. Let's develop skill. See, we can buy all the equipment, but getting equipment alone is not the solution. You need the skill to manage it. Sometimes when you have very skillful people with little equipment, they don't get results because it's frustrating. It's like being trained as a doctor in a particular field, in a particular country, and then you are sent into a very poor part of the world and they don't have the equipment. You feel like a failure. Because you know you can save this life, but you don't have the equipment. In the end, people die and you feel like you are the failure. People will think you are the failure. But there are also situations where you have got all the top-notch equipment and you've got poor skills. So people don't know how to manage them. Let us lift our game. Amen. Let's raise the game and stay focused to the assignment that we have been given by the Lord. You see, in 1 Kings chapter 20, verse 39 to 40, the law of focus. Don't do things here and there. Today you are here, tomorrow. Stay focused. 
stay focused. You can't serve two masters. Now, as the king passed by, he cried out to the king and said, your servant went out in the midst of the battle. And there a man came over and brought a man to me and said, guard this man. If by any means he is missing, your life shall be for his life. Or else you shall pay a talent of silver. So there was war. And the king was passing by. And he finds a man and he says, this man I have brought to you. Just police him. Guard him. Don't look at anything. Just focus on him. If you lose this man I have asked you to take care of, your life will go for it. Or otherwise you pay a heavy amount of money. Look at this man who has been giving a mission. 40. While your servant was busy here and there, the other guy was gone. What were you doing busy here and there? You have been told to focus on the man. You are focused on here and there. May the Lord deliver you from focusing here and there. Stick to what you have been given in Jesus' name. If you have been asked to raise a house fellowship, build a mighty house fellowship. Stay focused. Teach what you have been given to teach. Follow the instruction that you have been given. Hallelujah. Amen. All right. Which number are we on? Four. We are going to five. Time is getting close. Five. The law of mentorship. The law of mentorship. You will never reach your fulfillment in ministry without a mentor. You will never reach the fulfillment of your ministry and assignment without a mentor. A mentor is someone who has been where you are, he has been where you want to get to, and he's willing to take you there. Simple definition of a mentor. A mentor is someone who has been where you want to get to, and that person is also willing to take you there. There are some people, they have been where you want to get to, but they are not willing to take you there. Those are not mentors. There's a difference between a role model and a mentor. Sometimes your role model can be your mentor, but many people confuse the two. Sometimes for a role model, you don't even know him. He doesn't know you. You just see him in a movie. Some of you, your role model is uh, Patience Uzoko. You know her? She's a very quarrelsome woman in Nigeria movies. She's always fighting her in-laws. Some people say they are mental, they are, they are, you know, their role model is Ronaldo. So they try to play football like him, but they haven't seen him. He hasn't seen them. He doesn't know their names. People that you see from afar and try to model your life after, they are role models. They don't need to know you, but mentors, they need to have a contract with you. They must know you. You must know them personally. Sometimes you have to intentionally request for the mentorship. Sometimes the Lord will lead them to actually call you and mentor you in a particular way. But everybody needs a mentor. To every Joshua, there was a Moses. To every Paul, there was a Barnabas. To every Timothy, there was a Paul. To every Moses, there was a Jethro. To every David, there was a Samuel. No one becomes successful without an effective mentor. And when it comes to the ministry, you need a mentor. Amen. Sometimes your pastor will be your role model. 
and a mentor. But when it comes to the mentorship, automatically, senior pastor is role model for many. But when it comes to mentorship, it must be an intentional thing because it must be structured. I can be a role model to you from the way you observe my life, etc. from a distance. But when it comes to mentoring you, I have to put you on a program. I have to draw a program for you and say we are following this today. This week you are reading the whole of Kings and come and meet me at 7pm and we are discussing each chapter. Your understanding of it and then I will give you understanding. Then I let you preach whilst I sit down and then I call you later on and correct the errors of what you preached. The mentor will be able to rebuke you and correct you and put you on the right path. Role models can't correct, they don't rebuke, they don't discipline. But mentors do that so that they are shaping you. They carry a rod and they carry a blade. If you don't want to have the cut, you can't have the anointing. Sometimes they have to circumcise you to get you to do the right thing. Sometimes they have to be hard on you. Say, ah, it's too wicked. No, it's the, the hardness is supposed to produce the champion in you. Because if he, if he leaves you on the soft path, you will not be able to handle it. You will fail. Because ministry is a hard work. Sometimes your mentor will place you at a place to fight or to go and start a church. Say, hey, this is hard. This is a difficult place. Yes, I know what you carry. You know, many times it's the mentor, if it's a spiritual mentor, the mentor knows your capabilities. Even natural mentors. Sometimes they know your capabilities. Sometimes your lecturer knows your capabilities you don't know. So they try to give you hard work to do. They say, ah, everybody got this. This, this is foundation exams for everybody. Media, just give me the hard paper. The, the, the lecturer knows that you have that capability, but you are lazy and he's trying to pull the greatness out of you. And that, those are, that's what mentors are. They can tell what is there. Many people don't know that they are called. It would take their mentor to tell them there's a calling. Elijah was not aware. It was Elijah who told him there's something there. Take this mantle, run with it. And it begins to work. When Jesus saw Peter, James, and John, they don't see themselves as apostles. He saw them as that. And he disciplined them and brought them to that place. All the 600 men that followed Moses, uh, David, they were sanquasis. The Bible says they were all in debt. They were in distress. They had some four Ds. They were all in debt. Credit is, is not good. They all have county, county court judgments. Nobody will give them credit. Nobody lies them. Jesus started church with these guys. He had the time to discipline, work the word in them, taught them, paid the price, and gave them the opportunity. And gradually, they grew. And they became rulers with him when he became king. Are you here? So, the law of mentorship is so crucial. It guarantees your future so that your head must not lack oil. You can't succeed in any endeavor unless you have a genuine mentor. One of the characteristics of good mentors is that they are not in competition with you. They are happy for you to excel even than they know his works. There's no scripture that says that Jesus' shadow healed the sick. Peter was heavily anointed after receiving such mentorship from Jesus that the Bible says one day as he was ministering, his shadow was healing the sick. His hands were healing people and his shadow, when anybody who, touched, who passes through Peter's shadow also got healed. What an anointing. 
if you don't like to be corrected, you cannot become great. I wrote something some time ago that in the marriage enterprise or relationship, if you think you are always right and you can't be corrected, your pride, disguised as self-confidence, will ultimately destroy your relationships and marriages. Your pride. If you want to be mentored, you put down your pride. And you can be corrected. Amen. When we are humble, we can easily be corrected. So throughout the scriptures, we see to every Samuel, there was an Eli. Every David, there was a Samuel. Every Joshua, there was a Moses. Every great leader is an offspring of another great leader. Every great leader is an offspring of another great leader. Every great leader is an offspring of another great leader. So don't just stick there and say, okay, I go to church in the place. Automatically, I am this. No, if you want mentorship, you move to the next level. It is structured. It's structured. There are pastors in different parts of the world that write to me and they want mentorship. So there was one, I continued to mentor him since 2020. He made an application and I accepted it after praying. I started helping him. And then one day he was feeling, anytime we talk, it's so like he has something to ask me. He doesn't know what to. So one day he wrote and said, please, how much is it? Because I disturb you from 1 a.m. sometimes to 3 a.m. Asking for advice. The challenges I'm facing, the means to, and the things. And you show me what to do. And you send me this material. You do this. That. And I realized that you still don't ask me for any money. Because all the people I've gone to in the past, they ask certain amount of money to even start with. I said, I've not been asked to ask you anything. I don't charge for this. He was surprised. He was confused. He told another person, the person wrote, and I rejected the application. Because the Holy Spirit has not asked me to mentor that one. So everywhere we go, they just ask us to bring this amount. 10,000 pounds. Down payment for mentorship, effective ministry. Free, freely have received, freely give. Every great leader is an offspring of another great leader. Raise others too so as to ensure fulfillment and continuity. Amen. When you are raised by a great mentor, also don't become selfish. Raise others. That's how we have continuity in the ministry. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 2. It says, and the things that you have heard among me, from me, among many witnesses, commit these to faithful people who will be able to teach others also. In ministry, there must be continuity when we observe the law of mentorship. When you are mentored by a great mentor, you also end up becoming great. And when it stays there, your greatness should not stop. Your greatness is linked to how many you have raised who are like you. Or even greater than you. 
And so you see that from that scripture, we see continuity. It says, Timothy, my son, the things you have received from me, one, you are two. Take it and commit it to faithful people who will be able to teach it to others too. So you see, four generations, it must run like that. Continuity. To teach others also, it must continue. Amen. Don't be selfish. Number six, the law of steady. The law of steady. It takes a studious life to obtain a glorious ministry. You can't do ministry without steady. The anointing don't fall on empty heads. You must study to show yourself approved to God. I read books. I read. I read the Bible too. I devour scriptures. So I'm standing there, I'm quoting scriptures like this. Ah, Jesus, wonderful. I think if he lays his hands on me, I'll start quoting scriptures. Umali. Umali means you lie. Umali. You're lying. It doesn't work that way. You have to work. You have to study. Jesus read. Anytime the disciples, apostles, uh, the disciples or the Pharisees come to him and they say something, they say, have you not read? He kept asking them, have you not read that which Moses said? Have you not read what Elijah said? Have you not read what Jeremiah said? That means he has been reading. You need to read. You must be not only reading, but be a student too. Study. There's a difference between reading and studying. Even though when we are studying, it involves some reading. You know, when we are all reading four chapters a day as a church, that is reading. You just can't study four chapters a day. Study means you are focused on one particular topic within that scripture. And you are focused on it to get all the revelation from it. So we all read our scriptures first. And then we later on pick an item to study. So sometimes we can do, you can do a character study of David. Sometimes you can study the preaching ministry of Jesus and follow him all the way from Matthew to John. And see his approach to certain groups of people. Sometimes you can study Jesus' ministry to women. It's a subject to study as you read your Bible. But we can all read. But when it comes to study, you must discipline yourself to study. Study the word and read very good books. At least you have got four or five to start with from my books. Read them study so if you are to speak on a particular subject you are not only reading the bible you read other research around it too so that your delivery is standard and complete and you find jesus talked like that many times one day he was preaching he says did you not what happened to the people in the tower of siloam that means he's referring to some historical event that happened he has been reading paul writes and he says that the, the poets in Crete also say something like that. And he was talking to the people in Athens. He said, even your poets say this. That means he has read Athenian poetry. And he's actually making reference to it in addition to his message. It makes your message powerful and strong. That you are not one of those, you know, Shantong preachers who just came from a bush. And just said they are called by God. When you speak, they realize that you are speaking facts backed by the anointing too. And that's the generation that we need to capture. We need to be able to stand and minister in such a way that no one can dispute the fact that God's hand is on you and that you are not making mistakes even in your presentations. Amen. 
So we need to study 2 Timothy 3.15, famous scripture. A preacher must be a reader. The day you stop reading, you stop leading. Tell somebody, the day you stop reading, you stop leading. If you want to lead, you must read. You want to be a leader, you must be a reader. Amen. One of the pastors of the largest single Pentecostal churches in Korea, the late Dr. Paul Yonggi-cho, he spent 75% of his time studying before he would minister. Study. John Wesley, in founding the Methodist Church, said that any of his leaders who does not study will be out of the ministry. He said, I'm too busy to do many things for God that I spend the first six hours of the day in prayer to God. Son, are you looking at me? Six hours of the day. <laughs> it's not for the faint of it. That's why you prophesy to the bed. Hear my voice. Every day. And you pray on you until you yourself you become saved. Don't walk dry and try to minister. You must study. 2 Timothy 3.15 It says, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures which is able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. The Holy Scripture is able to make you wise. 16 Does it end there? And all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Anytime you start reading the scriptures, inspiration comes into you. And it is profitable for teaching, doctrine, and for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. You can't do these things until you have read all scripture. Begin to love the word. Amen. Don't yawn when you are reading your Bible. It's only when it comes to you reading your Bible, even on your phone, that you are yawning. But every other item on the phone, you are able to read for hours. Hours. Paul was a student. In 2 Timothy, he wrote and says, When you are coming, Timothy, bring me the books and also the parchments. Mona Lisa, show it up for them. Bring the cloak that I left in Carpus at Tross. When you come, and the books, especially the parchments. So some of you just think, oh, Paul met Jesus and he's anointed. He has been reading books. He left some of them in a place. He told his son in the Lord, Timothy, he said, go and grab those things and bring them to me. When you come, bring them. Bring those books I left. Bring them. Read. Every serious Christian must build your own library of books. Ask pastor, he will show you, buy this one, buy this one. Apart from his own books, he will tell you which books to buy. There are a lot of other books, they are all nonsense sometimes. They are nonsense. There are wrong doctrines in them. These days, anybody can write anything. Anybody can set up any website. Satan himself can set website. And put things that looks as if it's doctrinal, but it's not. Amen. If you can't see what beyond what others have seen, no one will follow you. If you can't see beyond what others have seen, no one is going to follow you. A leader is a reader and a leader is a learner. 
Read the Bible to learn. Document the things you see in the word. Labor in the word. Labor in anointed books. Invest your time and resources to expand your knowledge base. Study. If you want to graduate, you must be able to read. Amen. If you don't have a functional library, you can't have an extraordinary life. Get a functional library. Build your own library. Get books. Pack them. Arrange them. My son enjoys some of my books. He sees my dates. He's in Italy. He says, hey daddy, this one. So when did you read this one? I said, yes, I was in secondary school when I had this book. I'm keeping all of them. Recently when I was in Ghana, I just saw some pictures. Have you even brought them back? He has come to the house and invaded my study. And taking three or four of my books and sent photos to me. He said, I'm borrowing them. I said, who, who gave you the right to borrow them? He said, I'm borrowing them. I'll bring them back. He hasn't brought them back. He has been borrowing my books. It's quite a lot. It's a whole one wall like that. Full to the end. Books. The height. Books. I've got suitcases full of books. Read. Shake someone tell the person. Read. Say the way I'm saying. Read. Aha. Isaiah 50 verse 4. Maybe I'll end it at this number 6. I don't think I'll do for time. Because of the fact that we have to do part 2. Part 3. Isaiah 50 verse 4. Are, are we there? The law of study. The law of study. The Lord has given me the tongue of the learned. So that I will know how to speak a word to them that are weary. A word in season. To them who worries. Anytime I will preach, I pray that prayer. The Lord grants me the tongue of the learned. But that means you must be learned. So that you will speak the word to them who are weary. Sometimes when you know you have a deficiency in an area, study about it. I remember a great preacher in Africa. He filled his GCSE. Nobody thought a great leader can come out of him as a preacher. But I'm, I know people who were close to him and every book on public speaking he made them buy it for him and he schooled himself in private in his room so when he stands and he's talking he knows how to speak and many people started listening to him and he's built a very great ministry with universities who thought that a GCSE failure will end up becoming a chancellor of a university out of his church. But he learned these things on his own. He wasn't ready to fail. Academically, he will look a failure. But there's so much out there that you don't have to lock yourself. Think outside the box and add value to yourself. The work of the ministry involves talking to people on behalf of God. If you lack ability to speak, learn it, read about it, look at how to do presentation, etc. And develop those skills and be a good tool in the hands of God to deliver God's message to people. Have a strong appetite. Work hard. You can't eat your cake and have it. 
There are too many lazy ministers and they are having little impact. May you have an attitude of a tireless learner in the name of Jesus. Double honor comes to double learners in Jesus' name. Maybe let me leave you with a, a seventh one. I think that will help. Let me see what is this one. Good. The law of organization, number seven, so that I can end it. The law of organization. Our ministries will not make great impact if we are not well organized. Because a well-organized ministry yields fruits. See, let's not disgrace God. God is an excellent God. Our God is a very perfect and excellent God. And if we represent him and we want to show him to the world, the world must not have something better than what the church has. But sadly, we are having the opposite. The world has excellent organizations. Sometimes the church thinks that because we are anointed, we don't need to have an excellent organization. You see, God said something about human nature. He said, man, human beings, they look on outward appearance. Only God sees the heart. So if we want to attract other human beings, we must have excellent structures and excellent ministries. We must have excellent organization, excellent choir organized. When we have to sing, let's do everything to raise the game in terms of our song ministrations. Because the songs that are used to serve the devil is well sung. The instrumentation is top notch. Excellent. And it's praising the devil. Why is it that when we come to church, we just want to give God anything? He's an excellent God. Let's do well. Let's pay the price. Now sometimes we, we do lazy choir. Because we don't want to learn all the stanza and memorize it. We don't want to be stretched. Your voice must go at a particular pace. We hate the hard leaders. You see, if you want to be an excellent minister of songs, you need a very hard person to lead you. Because any form of compromise will yield compromise ministry. Yeah. Some of you, you've got the voice, but you are being lazy. When you hold the mic, we can't even hear you. But when you're at home, you shout. Let's hear you. Let's hear the alto. Let's hear the bass. Let's hear the soprano. Let's hear everything. Let's hear it. And submit yourself to be trained so that you can bring it out. And it's so powerful when it's out. Amen. Nobody will attend some of those, even those things that they, they do in, in, in town. You know, those things that the unbelievers do. You see that it's excellently organized. Why is it that when it comes to God, we just want to give anything to God. The Bible says he's an excellent God. We must give him excellent worship. Excellent media. Excellent evangelism. Excellent prayer ministry. Excellent outreach ministry. Excellent preaching ministry. Excellent teaching ministry. Excellent photography. I mean, you can't you can shoot one and a half people in, in a photo. And we show it to the world. Why are we telling the world? Why are we giving our pictures out there for people to see? We want people to follow it and come to church, isn't it? So we must take photos in a way that when somebody sees it, he would like to say, I want to go there. I want to go to this place. But if all our photos are showing only one side of Chiquado and one side of Jesse, then are we having monsters here? Because that's what somebody says. Well, what is this? And we are happy and we also push it out there. Who are those who are monitoring what is going over there? Are you here? Excellent organization. When people come into our, our church premises, they shouldn't get lost as to where to find the toilets. 
They should find people right at the junction, pointing them, another person in the middle, receiving them and smiling. You, everybody doing ministry, we wear two types of uniform. The particular fabric we are wearing, which have been sewn into a dress, and then we wear a smile. It's a permanent uniform. Wear a smile. You can't have people coming. Are you coming to our church? I mean, you are intimidating me already. I will run away. I will immediately say, no, I'm not coming to your church. <laughs> and if you are smiling and you are warm, then the person is even looking for, if the person I met by the side is like that, then how is the atmosphere going to be inside? What if the usher receiving us is wearing a very serious face? His face is frowned. As if he's not happy. Why do you want to usher me into an atmosphere that you yourself don't look happy in? God is an organized God. Please come with me to 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 1 to 10. We may not read all, but Queen Sheba, the queen of Sheba. The Bible says she came. She heard about Solomon. She heard about the greatness of Solomon. Ladies and gentlemen, we are already creating a lot of burning bush experiences online. We are already creating awareness I mean, there's only one Protons Church in the entire universe. There's no competition. Anywhere you type it, it just shows us. There's no other person called that one. It's a powerful thing. Recently, some people came to visit, uh, to um, greet me and to offer their condolences. And, and I asked about their youngest son. And I said, where is he? He said, oh, he's at Coventry. I said, really? I said, he heard about Proton's church. He said, well, they don't know, but maybe they can give him a call now. So they called him. I said, have you heard Proton? He said, yeah, I've seen, I've seen them. I even saw that you went to, to the Kent place just last Friday to go and preach. I said, really? You saw that? He said, we are in Coventry. He said, oh, really? I said, yes. I have to give you some contacts and go there. But the point is that he knows about the Proton's church. It wasn't something he didn't know. Now, when we do all of that, it's like people hearing, just like Sheba. She heard about the greatness of Solomon and she decided to pay a visit. Ladies and gentlemen, Sheba will come. But when Sheba comes, would, he, would she see us organized? If we create so much impression out there, when people come among us, they should see it. That's how they will stay. Otherwise, we'll be seen to be deceiving people. And that won't work. Human beings look at outward appearances. That's why some people have, are in certain places. Not that the word is taught there, but because those places are organized. Everybody likes to go to an organized place. Are we there in 1 Kings 10? Now, when the queen of Sheba heard of the name of Solomon, when people, when the Shebas of this world hear about the Protons Church of Christ Church, they will come. Concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. If they come with questions, that one we are ready. But if they are coming to look at us, to decide to be part of us, we need to know when you carry an excellent anointing and you carry the quality of the word, we need excellent organization. We need it. So she came to Jerusalem with a great retinue, a number of people, with camels that bore spices, very much gold and precious stones. And when she came, 
to Solomon. She spoke with him about all that was in her heart. And the Bible says, so Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing so difficult for the king that he could not explain to her. But you see, she did not only come to hear the king. Sometimes, some people may come and really every question they will ask from our Q&A, Bishop James will be there to provide excellent answers. But I came to announce to you, people are not only looking for the answers, they also want to see whether they can fit into the good organization we have. So the Bible says she didn't just stick to just questions. She moved to the next level and she saw something. The Bible says, and when the queen of Sheba had seen all the wisdom of Solomon, she saw wisdom. May people see your wisdom. See, people can't see wisdom literally. They only see it from what we have built. When anybody comes around you, the way you have set your house, your things, the way you appear, they will see your wisdom. The house that he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his servants, the service of his waiters, and their uniforms. You see, apparel. So she's seeing something more than just the answers she's getting in terms of uh, questions she has asked, but she's now looking at setup. The Bible says she looked at how food was set on his table food was not presented to him as if they are selling, selling, sell, selling it in town. Uh, get it. This is why she have it. It's, it's nicely packed. Some, some people, some wives give their husbands food as if they're just buying it from town. Nicely present the thing to him. Put it on the table. If he wants it covered, cover it nicely. Hello, my Lord. Your food is ready. Yeah. When your wife also does that, you to give her some tea. Me and my wife, we have an interesting relationship. So she brings you, let's have some five pounds. Sometimes I add ten. I say, but that's not enough. I say, but it's not easy. This one is just me giving it to you. <laughs> yeah. That's the way we relate. That's the way we choose to relate. Sometimes when I didn't add anything and she asked, I said, but you are not a waiter. But she also needs a tip. So, Charlie, get your tip. And I can have my peace of mind. Food on his table. The seating of his servants. When we come to church, we are not sitting haphazardly. Orderly seating arrangements. It's powerful. It's beautiful. It speaks. So when pictures are so taken, we are not having islands. So oh, what is it? Why are they asking me to come in? Sit down properly. When we feel this one, when we move to the next one, we feel it. We need to the next one. Then we feel everything nicely. It's not like people come, they want to sit everywhere they want to. No. When you come into this tabernacle, we will program you where you will sit. It's beautiful. It's orderly. When you see visions of heaven, you see order. And then the Bible says, the service of his waiters and their uniforms. And why are they asking us to wear uniforms? Check it in the scriptures. Even when you see vision of heaven, angels are in uniform. His cup bearers and his entryway by which he went up to the house of the Lord. 
the stairs, the way he walked up the stairs, the way the stairs have been organized and structured and constructed, there was no more spirit left in her. She was taken away. I mean, she, her, breath, her breath was taken away. Then she said to the king, it was a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. However, I did not believe the words until I came and I saw with my own eyes. And indeed, half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity far exceeded the fame of what I heard. And the Bible said, happy are your men and happy are these your servants who stand continually before you and your wisdom. And the scripture says, therefore, blessed be the Lord who delighted in you because Israel, because he loved Israel. Look at her reaction to what she saw. When people see excellent organization, they give towards it. People give to vision. They don't give to need. Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold, spices in great quantity, and precious stones. These there never came again such offering or abundance of spices as the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. She gave an offering that the Bible is saying has never been given by anybody. Nobody asked her. When she saw excellent organization, she wants to be part of it. She wants to sow into it. She wants to invest into it. She wants to be part of it. People, when they come into a place and see excellent organization, they want to be part of it. They want to give to it. They want to support it. That's why the rich continues to be rich. The rich continues to sponsor another rich activity. Yeah. Those who play golf, they're already rich. They see that they continue to sponsor golfers. How many poor people play golf? And all those things. So you see that excellent organization is so powerful. Excellent organization of children's ministry. Because children are very great evangelists. They can invite the whole city to their party if you allow them. They know how to tell everybody that that is organizing a party for me. Yeah. One of the little children in the children's service had a birthday in the week. I gave her a call. It was her mother's phone. She's not, I think she's four years old, five, six. I gave her a call and I spoke to her. We had our chat. They are my friends. They are all my secretaries. Don't trouble them when you come to church. All those little girls and boys, the children's service. So we had our chat and I prayed for her. Then I asked her, what does she want for her birthday? And she said something. And I said, yes, I'm going to get it for you. Oh, yes. Before it was two o'clock, I prayed for her around 12. By 2 o'clock, she has told the entire family, including her grandchildren, her grandfathers, and great-grandmothers, those in this country and outside Ghana, uh, UK. He has told all of them, Bishop is going to get me this gift. Woe unto me if I don't get the gift. <laughs> so if I told her I'm going to organize a party, she would have invited everybody. And when we have an excellent children's ministry, one of the things that happens is that parents begin to come to church to leave their children there because they've mandated them Monday to Saturday. Hey, see that, this, that. They want somebody to handle them at least for two hours so that they too they can concentrate in church. It's a very powerful evangelistic strategy. So let's not neglect children's ministry. Let's invest there. And let's organize it so excellently. There are many resources that we can have. Every department in church, we can have resources to develop it to the highest level. 
So that when people come in and they go into those departments, they don't find like, but there's nothing here. What is all this noise? And we come here and there's nothing here. See, there's no leadership here. There's nothing in this department. We must find something in the department for people to go into. Otherwise, when we win, thousand people come to church now and we put them in different departments, would they find it useful to be there? May God help us. In Jesus' name. 